raises up in the middle before before we do uh, before he leads a analysis on the team we're playing, and someone puts some music on, and he's not break dancing, but he's literally just dancing, just boogieing around the room, and everyone's cracking up. We think you're you're too slow and you're overweight. Um, we don't think you you should be part of the academy, and that was. Uh, it's been a bit of a journey for me. So I retired 2000 and end of 2016. And, and I wasn't, I struggled more around knowing how to have that sense of purpose. Welcome to the Offfield Rugby Pod. In this podcast, I uncover the secrets of how the best do what they do. And this is the podcast to listen to if you want to fulfill your potential as a player, coach or as a person. I'm your host Brian Moylet, former Irish age grade international player, now mindset and performance coach and author of the book on how to become a pro rugby player. This is the only book written to help rugby players with the mental side of the game and it's the book that I needed 10 years ago. The foreword is by Robbie Henshaw. You can get your copy now on Amazon. The audiobook is on Audible and if you're not yet on Audible, you can get it for free using a trial and the link for that is in the podcast description. Please follow me on Instagram at Offfield Rugby, LinkedIn, Brian Moylet. Send the pod on to some friends and please leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. If you want to work with me one-on-one or with your team, please message me through my website, offfieldrugby.com. Cheers. So chat to me about how you got into rugby. Um, well, you're a kid from New Zealand, so that means you play rugby pretty much. Uh, if I think back to early days, I had a lot of energy, a lot of energy <laughs> and needed an avenue to get rid of that energy. Um, would I class myself as angry? Probably an angry kid. And I think that was the avenue to get rid of that. I think the other thing for me with rugby as a kid it was a place I did get lost in. Like it was the one place where that in cricket, probably any sport, but rugby in particular, where I just knew I'd just get lost out there and just love it. Mm. And obviously the all that positive emotion that goes with that. As a kid I didn't know that, but I just knew that when I was out there I was so competitive and it's go time, let's go play rugby. So I and I also had two older brothers, one four years older than me, one ten. Um, so I had a ready made environment of people that would play rugby with me and an ability that was pushing me all the time as well so yes like all New Zealand kids I probably I started I think I started four or five and on the frosty fields with no shoes on and just loved playing yeah and then like we were chatting about the last day when was it chat to me about when you kind of decided that you wanted to make a fist of it um I think I think because of how it made me feel, I was always going to play rugby. And then as we, as you get older, I think probably the big grade, which was under 16s here. So when you make under 16s, when I was coming through, that was New Zealand under 16s was the first age, national age group team that you could make. And I went, I made the Wellington under 16s made the Hurricanes under-16s and missed out on the New Zealand trial. And I think that was the first stage, and I just transitioned from prop to hooker that year before that. 
and I think that was the first stage when all, like, I've had a taste of, like, rep footy. I've gone reasonably close to getting a New Zealand trial. I'm going all right here. Let's, let's see where this goes. Even though I thought that I didn't train or I just continued to do the same amount of training, I don't think I went, okay, this is what it takes to be a professional rugby player. I didn't understand that at 15, but I knew... I knew I had a bit of self-efficacy after that one, that tournament to go, actually, I'm in the mix here. Where could this take me? So then that was like a, a good thing. You didn't look at, oh, I didn't make New Zealand. You didn't get downhearted. That, that excited you. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I I remember what happened was they go, um, you've made the team, the, the, the Hurricanes team, and they've got those all around New Zealand. We're going to get in touch with you to let you know if you've made the trial from that team. Mm. So for about three or four days, I was, and that was the old school days where you're waiting for the phone, you know, like I was like waiting. They said that you'll get in touch. And then like four or five days passed and I had no call. And they, I knew that they were taking a trial of 50 kids, 50 players. And then it got to about a week. And I think I said to my mum, they haven't, they haven't called me yet. She goes, oh, well, why don't you give them a call? Um, and I, like at this stage, like that's quite a big for a call. So I actually rang them up and said, hey, I haven't heard anything. Um, you know, what have you named the trial? And they said, Oh, yeah, sorry, we have. You've you've missed out. So they didn't actually call all the players. And I think I might have misheard that they only called the ones. I don't know. But um, so I was, I think I was a bit gutted at the time. I was a bit like, Oh, no, I missed, missed. But it was more fuel for me. It was more fuel to go, Actually, like you've only transitioned to hooker one year. Like you only went there a year ago. You've already got to this level. Um, so I think I probably spun it to a good thing, even though I probably had that day or two where I was a bit gutted I didn't get the trial. Um, it would have been nice if they called me and let me know too. But again, looking back on it, as a kid that's 15 to make that call back, I was like, oh, actually, that was pretty good. That was pretty good of me to make that call. That's not an easy call to make. But I was willing to make that to, to find out what was going on. So, yeah. Yeah, good on your mum for kind of pushing you to make that call I would yeah. definitely have been getting my mum to do it <laughs> yeah, like yeah. definitely yeah and did you always kind of see those things as fuel or again on reflection yes when I, when I look back now and I look back of the journey to now I I think I just I knew at that level we know like I knew that I could play the game but at that top level it's not just talent. There's a lot of whole lot of hard work that goes in it. But at, at that age, it is predominantly the guys that are just more athletic that have played a bit. So I think I, w I had kind of gone, well, actually, yeah, I have got a bit of talent here, but I know that I can work on it. And even though I might have been a bit gutted, I probably always could see the framework. Well, this is a lesson. Like, what's the lesson? I haven't made it. So what do I need to do to make the next team? Next team? And even though that, that might take a few weeks to get to that moment, and the first couple of days I'm just frustrated and angry, but I was always probably just had a sense I wanted to prove people wrong in that situation. Like, you didn't pick me, I'm going to prove you wrong, I'm going to make the next team. And and then it, and I think it just evolved like that over time. And I kept missing, but then I'd make, and I kept missing, I kept, and then I'd make, and then, oh man, I've had a career. Like, it's kind of happened. And again, on reflection, I don't think I understood that I was doing that, but I was... Actually, as we've discussed, it was probably living with quite a growth mindset around how I saw those failures. I didn't see that as, oh, I'm not good at this game. I just saw, oh, actually, I need to get better to get to the next level. And that, and that kind of fueled me. 
yeah and so chat to me then like about yeah like the next steps from there so say leaving school like mm. were you in academies or you know what were the other step backs to take two step forwards yeah so for me there was two things going on is um i was playing rugby and cricket and loved the sport equally across two and it's quite funny because they're quite opposite sports mm. one's real tactical about nous and plans and quite a finite skill so i was a little left arm orthodox bowler not little i was quite a chunky little uh little left arm orthodox bowler but loved that game too and i loved um, the fight within the longer distances and I love fielding. But then the rugby, I just love the contact. I love I love that part of it. So I was I was bouncing on both and doing really well. I was probably pretty even across both all the way up till 20, 21. So I was obviously playing first 11, playing first 15 and then making rep grades, Wellington rep grades for both. And then... At a Wellington under 19 level, there was New Zealand under 19 rugby trials and New Zealand under cricket cricket trials. And I actually trialled for both. So at that, I was had a New Zealand under 19 cricket trial and the ICC World Cup was in Canterbury that year. Um, and I made the 24-man squad for that. And then we had the, the larger trial for the New Zealand under 19s. And I actually looked at the sheet and go, actually, if I make it through that first rugby trial, the cricket trials on the same weekend... And I was like, oh no, Like I'm going to have to choose. And I've never had to choose before that. But I actually didn't make it through the rugby trial, but I made it to the cricket trial. So um, that was was an interesting time for me because I could play both and I knew I was going all right. And then once, and then that was the end of school. So that's year 13, end of 2001, I've left school and I've gone, haven't done well at school because more because I just had no focus on it. I didn't see the value in it. And I saw the value in, in the sport and that's where, where that was coming from. So then I left school, didn't know what I was going to do in terms of academically or what. So I left school and was like, had left and been offered a Wellington Rugby Academy contract. And in, and the differences in here in New Zealand between rugby and cricket, there's no real pathway for cricket when, once you leave. You just go into the club cricket world, do your best and, and see if you can make it through to first class cricket where rugby as we know there's this huge pathway academy system rep system to take you through so I'd finished under 19s for cricket been offered this academy contract and sat there and went well what do I do here I can't just choose rugby because they're offering me something which was training and university paid for but I knew I had the love for cricket and effectively I sat on the fence and went I can't decide I need another year so I turned down the academy contract which in hindsight, like a oh, crazy thing to do. Um, and that year group was a really epic year group for Academy in, in Wellington. So uh, your Pity Wepus, Tamadi Allisons, Johnny Swoglers, um, Jimmy Gopperth. Um, so a really, uh, and a few other guys, uh, Blair Cowan, who went on to play for Scotland. Mm. Um, so a real um, Serge Lilo, Faifili Lavave, like really a lot of Samoan, New Zealand internationals in that squad. And I went, oh, no, I, I need another year. I can't. Uh, Corey Jane. Oh, yeah, wow. so pretty epic. And I went, I'll, I'll, I'm going to continue to play, but I, I don't know. And then from there, um, finished up playing the cricket season and the rugby season and went okay in both. Nothing out, nothing that I was hoping. Bit of a Probably a bit of a come down after playing at first 15 in school level when there's a lot more support and systems around you. 
and then went, okay, I think I can't really see the pathway cricket here. I want to play first class cricket, but they've got no training or environment to help me get better. Rugby it does. I'm going to go back to them and say I'm keen. So I went back to them and they've gone, hey, we've watched your club season and your rep season for rugby. Um, we think you're, you're too slow and you're overweight. Um, we don't think you're, you should be part of the academy. And that was uh, like drop. If we talk about, that was probably the first time where I really saw failure as like, oh no, this is bad. Like this, you've got me good here. I was probably a little bit like, oh, you offered me one last year. You, you'll take me next year, I can come back. And then for them to say no, I was like, and then to give me that type of feedback as well, was like, okay, you, you, I need to make some changes here, but that you've, you've really hit my soul here. Like, I've made the choice to come to you, and then you've told me, no, we don't think you're good enough anymore. And then I remember going back to my mum and be like, oh, mum, this is not good. Like, they're, they're not going to take me. And that took a bit longer to get over. But I still didn't really have a training ethic then. I, I just played. I didn't. So I'm, I'm 19. I'm, yeah, 19 going on 20 almost now. And I still haven't really gone, have the idea of what what training looks like to be your best. So I've gone, okay, well, what do I got to do? I've got to go back and prove them wrong. Eventually I went, okay, you've, you've thrown this at me. I'll go prove you wrong. And the best thing I did at that stage, and that was because I hadn't made that team, I ended up playing sevens. So I was over, I was chunky, overweight, um, and I was on the slower side. And then I went and played sevens for my club and loved it. And that really tra transformed my, my 15s game because I got quicker, I got in shape. And then I had a really, really good season next year and was like, well, I, I didn't go knocking on their door. I was waiting, and then I got, yep, Jeb, we, we're keen for you. We, um, you've played really well this year. We want you in the academy. So looking back on it, it took me three years from that moment to actually get that academy contract. And nowadays, that would be seen at 20, 21, mm. as relatively old to come into <clears throat> that system. But in hindsight, again, I think it was the best thing that happened to me because I learned a lot about who I was and what I needed in that time off, and then I joined the academy. And then that probably started the next phase of my career, really. Yeah, because don't they say like a kind of problem for rugby players who go school, academy, all the way through that they don't learn to be adults, kind of, or... Yeah. And I think for me, it was there was, a, there was an element of failure that happened in those three years. Um, and I was... I had, I had, looking back, I had a poor training ethic. I could play and I would train hard. I'd be at trainings and I would be in it, but actually getting better as a player outside of those trainings, I wasn't really, I'd sporadically go to the gym. I would do the fitness that they did for the six weeks before the season, but I didn't, I didn't, wasn't honing my craft. I wasn't, wasn't trying to get better. And that only came when I hit that academy that next year. Um, and looking back at what's that, 2004? So 2004, I joined the academy. And then that's another big year in rugby terms at that stage because that's when they used to name the New Zealand under-21 team, which is now the 20s, under-20s. But at that stage, that was when they named that. So I had another goal to try and make New Zealand Colts. I said, okay, I'm in the mix now. I'm back in the academy. How can I make this New Zealand Colts team? Yeah, something as well that I really didn't realise when I was younger, kind of around those ages, is how much better you can get like 
100%. I had a very looking back, like fixed mindset in that I was like, okay, I'm talented, and but these other guys are talented. But if someone edges me out for a selection on a national team, I'm useless. He's great. Yeah. I'm never going to make it. And it's only then, obviously, as I got older, that you see like some guys around those ages, early 20s, go from just make huge strides. Yeah. yeah. And, and I saw that once I had academy, the guys that had been there my year that I didn't choose and now they're they're two and a half years into academy so I've rocked into training and gone holy what have these guys been doing mm. but they've been layering all that training on for the last two and a half years those extra five or six sessions a week that I wasn't doing they were two years ahead of me mm. and that was another light bulb moment to go well, actually if they can do that in two years why can't I and go okay let's let's start the process let's Let's dive in and see how, how much better I can get. Yeah. And around these times, did you ever like worry? Would you like worry like, oh, it's not going to happen? Or were you more just, I'm going to work and see where it goes? Um, I had a, there was a big turning point. So at that stage, when I first made Academy, I was like, I, I felt like I was still going up the rung. So one of the goals to make Academy, yes, it took me a bit longer, but I had it. Then when I was second and third year academy I was playing Wellington B at that stage and I played really poorly a uh, bit of confidence issues bit of anxiety around playing the stakes have gone up a bit higher now had a coach in hindsight who probably um, wasn't superb in how he was dealing with me um, but I didn't have the understanding on how he was talking to me was affecting my game and Felt like he was lumping a whole lot of pressure on me and I kind of not lost the love, but lost the play free mentality, just going out there enjoying playing, which I'd always done up until that stage. Um, and then so I'd had, got to the third year academy, so two, end of 2005, so I'm close to 22, 23 now and gone, missed out on New Zealand Colts, but made a massive jump. So went from or well, maybe 12th to 13th hooker ranked in New Zealand to being the non-travelling reserve. So made some really good gains in that environment. So I went to third. If there was an injury, I was next cab off the rank. Didn't make the team, but felt like I'd made quite good strides. But then in the next two years, I fell away. I, I had pockets of playing well, but when it really counted in that rep game, I played really poorly. And I remember sitting down, going back home, sitting down with my sister, my mum, my auntie, who were kind of my support network, and went, all right, I'm not sure. I think, I think I'm done. This is the first time I've gone, maybe, maybe I'm not going to crack it. And I remember sitting in the room going, well, what, you know, like, what, what do I do? Like, I've had this single focus for a long time, and this is all I've wanted to do, and now I'm actually genuinely thinking I might just have to play for fun. And my sister, who's really good and is really thoughtful, went, well, if you gave it one more year, what would give you the best opportunity to give it one more year? And I was like, well, if I moved home, because I was flattened at that stage, and I worked less than paid mum a little bit of board and moved home and trained more and gave it one more year, that's, that, that would work. And she said, well, why don't we do that? What's one more year? And I was like, okay, let's let's do that. And then a couple of good things happened to me after that year. A new coach came into Wellington B, which was the name of Jamie Joseph. 
So Jamie Joseph's just starting his coaching journey, is helping out with the Wellington Lions and is the Wellington B coach. And um, got on with him really well. So the Lions coaches at this stage is Chris Boyd and John Plumtree. So obviously two really good coaches now who have been around. So they, they're applying their trade in ITM Cup. Got on with them both really well. And um, Jamie said, yep, well, I want you part of the, the B team and I want you part of the leadership group and probably saw more in me than I had seen in myself after those last two years and got player of the season for Wellington B that year. And after that season, Wellington Rugby offered me my first paid contract, uh, which was worth $25,000. Um, and at that stage, that was like a $5 million contract to me because it was the first time they've gone, okay, we, we see you to be a professional rugby player. Um, we've signed you for two years on 25 grand. And I remember when I got assigned it, like I remember walking down the street afterwards and I was literally fist pumping down the road. Like I've cracked it. Like this is it. Well, I've, I've made it like there's no more now. Like whatever happens now, I'm being played to play the game I love. So there was that element. I think again, I look back, I had an element of gratitude. Like I'd never, I was just so happy, so grateful that I'd been opportunity that I could stop working for 18 hours a week and working Sundays and just, you know, for $13 an hour or something crap. And I was like, okay, now I get to pay, I get 25 grand, which is like $350 in the hand a week to, to play the game. And then, so then my training went up another level then. And um, so, yeah, so I played that way and said, got, got my first contract and then that kind of that took, led me from that conversation that was a year ago with my sister, my auntie, and my mum, when I was battling to say, actually, Jed, you've, you've got an opportunity here. Now, now they've signed you for two years. You're getting paid. How are you going to take it to the next level now? Yeah, there's a few things there. So, like, when you were saying giving it one more year, like, you were kind of all in. You had a single focus. Yeah. And sometimes I chat with different people about, like, this concept of all in and... I'm of the opinion that if you want to achieve things, you have to be all in. And, yeah. and I've, I've talked to many people and just studying kind of like people who get at the top in business, politics, rugby, sport, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And then the perseverance thing, you know, OK, you say, oh, well, I got lucky. Jamie Joseph came in, but but you were the one who chose to go another year, yeah. you know. So I don't know. Chat to you a little, what are your thoughts yeah, on those and, things? And I. I, I wholeheartedly agree that the more and more I see people that do well in anything, and, you know, we always talk about, you know, I was lucky this happened, but luck happens to people that are all in. Yeah. It, it's not luck. And uh, if you're a faithful person, you may say there was an element of God or someone there following, you know, like they're on the journey with me. And I, I would say that there were some particular times when there was more than just me at play in that situation and those doors opened but it would not have happened if I wasn't all in that I wasn't purely single focused to say all right what does this year look like and to be fair I probably would have got to the end of the year if I didn't get the contract and want to go I'll give it another year but I don't know that at that stage I just know that I went all right I'm all in what does it look like and it was probably the first time that I said I'm all all in I was training really hard on the other stage but I went okay I've, I've put a guide, a timeline on this. Now, what does my training look like and how do I take it to the next level and really, really have a go at this? 
Um, and it's hard because you don't want the results of making teams to be why you play the game. But you need to know that you're, you're going up that system. And it's hard to know that you're getting better unless you make those teams. It's a really hard thing to separate because growth happens no matter what. And as we know, growth almost happens the most when you're in the valley. Mm. So I was in that valley at that 22 in that house. I was really downtrodden and was like, I, I don't know if I can play this game. I, I, I really don't know if I'm this, this good. And then to one year later to almost have the opposite feeling, like I said to you, that's why I was fist pumping down the road. I was like, I've, I've changed. I've been able to do this. They believe in me. I believe in myself. What's what's next? Yeah, and it's it's funny, like say, with uh, being in that valley, like in those tough times, mm. I've even just seen it recently. Like, it's like, I'm aware of that now. Yeah, totally. So it's like when the tough times come, it's like, this is it. Here we are. Yeah, and that's so good that you can see it like that now. And um, as we get older, we're, we're way more reflective to see that. I wish I could go back to my time oh. there and say, Jed, you're in the valley, mate. It's okay. Me too. It's okay. This is life. Yeah. We're supposed to learn from these. What have you learned? And let's move you forward with it. And I'm a lot more aware of that now like you. And you're a lot more aware of opportunities. You cross, cross the, you know, the world to see what's over here and to open another door and see what's happened. And you don't, we don't know what could happen in, in a year's time. Yeah. You could end up coaching here and your doors open, but you would have never known that unless you took that, that leap and said, I'm going to go and have a look what's over there. Yeah. And you know, the, just one more thing on the all in. Yeah. So it, I didn't do it when I was younger for mm. different reasons you know society different many different reasons but i like was studying business and i was playing rugby mm. and i was good at both and mm. anyway besides the point but something that scares people about going all in mm. is if you fail they yeah. say oh well you know and i had this chat with a, a teacher recently and it's like oh you know you know i saw in in your book like you know about getting rid of the plan b and in your mind and they anyway we had a chat about it but people are very very fixated on keeping all your options open but like we said that's not the way it often works and what i believe is that going all in okay the person you become if it doesn't work out mm. the person you become by the end of that okay you don't become a professional rugby player but that work ethic that grind that that person you become with determination resilience um work ethic all that stuff you find a new thing whereas a lot of people they drift around throughout life for years and years and years and just drift mm. and so if you're the type of person who's willing to go all in and, and do the work to back that up yeah you'll be okay i think and and i agree because and as we know is and this is when i reflect again again i'm more proud of the person that i became than the wins or teams that i made on that journey that's the stuff I look back on and smile and go for all those moments where I missed and I worked hard and I kept persevering when I got told I didn't make it. I had that moment and went, I'm going again. I'm, that's fueling me. That can be in any avenue of my life. And like I talked about self-efficacy before, I know that I can do hard things. So when those times come, I'm, I can do this. I've done this before. And that only comes from going all in and being truly in the arena, right? Mm. 
Um, and I can see how the teacher's seen it because he's more concerned that they're going to go all in and then if they do miss, they're not going to have anything to fall back on. But he's forgetting about all those characteristics that they've learned along the way. Um, I talk lots about now about trying to be high performing and having high character. So I would, and with the other job I do is I'm not looking for people that are just high performing and have low character. I want high performing, high character. And if they're low performing at the moment, but they've got high character, the high performing will come. So the high character is more important than their performance on their field. And that's the same as me saying, I'm more proud of the person that I've become and the values that I stand by than the teams or wins I've had along that journey. Yeah, so that high character, that's the other piece of puzzling that you are, you know, you can chat more about the work you're doing with, with all different athletes, but yeah. you're looking at their the performance side and, and trying to help them be that high performer, but you're also challenging them to have that high character, like yeah. be that person who gets up, who does yeah. X, Y, Z, who does all that stuff. Yeah, and, and it's the golden question about what are the characteristics that you need to be high performing, but as we know, self-driven, um, willing to take on feedback and get better, have a, have a growth mindset or have the ability to learn and grow and adapt along that journey, communicate well, and having, having a willingness to reflect on who they are and how that can move them forward. If someone has that and then is, and is willing to show up regularly to get better, then whatever sport they choose, I honestly believe over time they will they will succeed or they will jump that line of people that have just turned up hoping that talent will take them up that line. There was a quote I saw a couple, about a couple of weeks ago, really interesting, and it was, you build your mountain one layer of a paint at a time. And it, Joe Rogan said it. Yeah, that. yeah. I, I thought that was awesome. And for a lot of people, they're like, oh, layer of a paint at a time? Just one layer? Like that, what's that? Like not even a millimeter of, but... If I do that for five years and, and I've built 400 sessions on top of you, I've just gone two feet above you. And and, it, and that's that's it. I, I built my la my mountain one layer of a time. And as you know, we all know at the moment, and it's not just kids now, but we all want it tomorrow. Can I take that pill that makes me strong or makes me lose that weight tomorrow instead of having those long-term benefits of routines over and over and over and showing up and layering that paint, that is the difference. And and we talk about the, you know, like the brain and how it works and wrapping that mile and round that skill to to make you better and better and wrapping it and wrapping it until someone sees you three years down the track and goes, Whoa, you've got better. And it's like, Well, I've 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 been layering the paint for the last three years. That's all in. Yeah, big time. I love it. And another thing what I've found is like that layering the paint is essentially a day. So like a day is like a layer of paint. And totally. Every time you want me personally, when I have a good day, it's like, I'm that guy. Yeah. You know, when I get up early, when I, you know, edit a podcast, when I coach a session, when I yeah, do yeah. a talk, whatever it is, I'm just like, I know it's a layer of paint and I know that I'm that guy. Yeah. You know, and it just gives you fuel. It gives you self-esteem, self-worth, and it just fires you on. It's totally does, eh? And, and you can see you're living with it. You're living like... How, this is me crying, I'm getting better. How, and then you're grateful for it too. Like there's so many layers to it because you see it as a way of getting better, but you know you're in the arena, right? Mm. You're, you're willing, like I said to you, cross cross the world, you're doing a podcast in Christchurch. If I asked you that eight months ago, you'd be like, how have I ended up here? But it's a conversation with someone saying, I'd love to come across. And then someone opens that door for you. It's not luck. 
it's it's going all in it and what you want to do and achieve stuff but you had all those times when you missed stuff and you've had you know you've had to give it up on one part of your life because of rugby you couldn't play anymore you're you're in that valley but you're going okay what's the next mountain i've still got who i am and what i want to achieve how do i how do i create my next mountain which is awesome yeah cheers and a big um a big part of it is what I find is not worrying about failure or mm. detaching yourself from that. Like whether you're a player or whatever journey you're on is, first of all, you have to listen to your heart and do what's true to that, yeah. what's true to you. And then when you're doing that and you're giving it everything that you've got, you kind of become okay with whatever will happen. But detaching from that outcome is a huge thing. Totally. And and it's okay. Like we always want to be our best, you know, like we mm. always want to pass everything and do everything to our best. And this isn't the more stuff I've learned around positive psychology and around stress. Like the more stress we have in our life, the people that have more stress in their life accomplish more, have more purpose and meaning, create, have goals and are more likely to make those. It's called the stress paradox. And then when I think back on it, the amount of stress I had through, we've only got to ITM Cup level, to NBC level, the amount of stress I had to get to that stage it was because I had meaning and purpose and I was doing something that really I cared about. And of course I'm going to fail on that journey because I'm trying to do something that's not easy, but it's really hard to see it like that when you're in it. Um, but I'm really happy. I think when I look back on it, I had a really tight support network, um, friends and family who were there on the journey with me that were there for me. They weren't just texting me when I had a good day game. Like I always talk about, um, you know your circle of support by the ones that text you when you've had a really bad game. Uh, not the ones when you've won a championship or what. They're cool because they're still there for you. But the three or four texts when you get even when you know play, that's that's your people. And I had really good people around me that supported me through that. And like that conversation with my sister, weren't going to let that failure stop me keep going. But they did it in a way that allowed me to make that choice. Yeah, and so you got that... Uh... 25 grand that that yep. contract yeah and it wasn't all straight up from then after no no another good jump after that so um obviously signed that contract into 2006 and went right okay i want to make like i haven't made i um mpc at that stage i played wellington b so i was like now i need the next stage is to make the jump and we're going into 2007 now um wellington has just lost the final i think they lost the final to auckland that year Ah, uh, no, sorry. Uh, maybe can't read it. Well, they lost anyway. So I've come in and gone, okay, I'm going to make the team. I'm going to train hard. And again, now it's gone up another level in terms of intensity because now I'm trying to make a professional side, not just the B side. Have a really good season training. A couple of things happened along that journey. A guy called Ozzy McLean, who um, ended up coaching the All Blacks for a while as well, comes in as the new Wellington coach. And he brings a hooker down from Christchurch called a guy called Tony Coppolani. Um, and doesn't know, um, so there's the incumbent hooker, Luke Marnie, sitting there, and he doesn't know that there's a two young kids, well, youngish, me, 23, um, and another younger kid called Dane Coles in the system in, in Wellington. So we saw us three as the, as the squad going in, and then Tony Coppolani, who's older, who's veteran, signs with us and comes down. So I did the, we did the maths, me and Colsey did the maths and went, and we were actually playing in the same club side at this stage as well. So we'd have to alternate playing two and number eight so that we could both get game time, um, both in the academy together and gone. 
one of us is making this team and one isn't. So we play the whole season up, do all the trials. I go pretty good. Um, Colsey hasn't exploded yet. He's quite young, but got a lot of potential. And um, think I'm going to make the side. They call in the day they're going to name the team. We all sit down. I don't know who's missing or not. They haven't given us any conversation. And then I just get the tap on the shoulder just before the team names going, hey, Jed, um, can we have a chat to you? And I remember going, I remember my heart sinking like, bugger it. And then so I walk in the room, Ozzy goes, hey, mate, sorry about signing Tony. We didn't know you and Colsey were here, which annoyed the hell out of me because that's his job mm. to know who's in their region. Um, we've already got Luke and Tony on the thing. Uh, we're going to take Colsey as number three. Um, but the Man or Two Turbos need a hooker and have said, whoever missed out here, we'd like to take them. Do you want to go to Man or Two? Um, and I just said yes straight away. But was still devastated that I missed that team because that's where I was from, who I played the whole time for. And then um, through luck, again, not luck, but again, that was probably the best thing that happened to me because the coach at the Manawatu Two Turbos was Dave Rennie. Um, yeah, so you can see already see the coaches that I've had layered into my career or been around me. So I've already had Jamie Joseph, Chris Boyd, uh, John Plumtree, and now I'm going to play for Dave Rennie at the Turbos. And um, so the Manawatu's, Palmerston North and hour 40 from Wellington. So two days later, pack my bags and I'm going up there to play the season. Um, and obviously really hard going into a new side emotionally at the start. Um, but Renz is just a legend, the, the most uh, nicest, welcoming guy. I remember I drove up there that night, was just in a hotel, and he took me out for dinner by himself and spent two hours with me, um, which that kind of stuff you can't replace as a coach, just to kind of say, hey, mate, you're all good. Love having you up here. Um, and then played the season for the Men or Two Turbos. For the ones that don't know, the Turbos had just come up the year before, so they had moved up from Div 2 to Div 1 only the year before, so they'd lost every game the year before by about 50 points. So I was going to a team that wasn't going to do that well probably, but I was going to get game time, and that's all. I was like, I've got to play I've got to play NPC here, and spent the next three three months playing up at the Turbos. Um, had a couple of real average things happen to me. Uh, got up there, got glandular fever the week I got up there. And you're in a new environment, not as confident, and I knew I felt crap. And I was like, I've got to train, like, I've got to show that I deserve to be here. But I was like, out the back, like, I, I couldn't keep up with everyone. And I was going, I'm way fitter than this. And I, but I didn't tell anyone. And I think they just thought that's what fitness was. But I just felt terrible. And it took about a week to figure out that I had glandular fever. So I played the first game off the bench with glandular fever and I didn't tell anyone. And luckily, I only got about 10 minutes off the bench because I'd only just got up there, so he didn't want to play me too much. But if I had to play, I would have been in all sorts and then had to take the next week off. So I've just gone to this new team. I'm in the team. They want, want me to get in there, and I've had to go home for a week and like get rid of this glandular fever um, and then come back the next week, the third week, and I've lost 6 kg from the glandular fever and gone, all right, Jed, we want you to start. We're playing Wellington at the stadium for my first game, and it's Tana Umanga's 100th game. So if anyone knows Tana, like Tana is like the heart and soul of Wellington rugby. 
it's his 100th game, that's his last game and then he's leaving, so he's not playing the rest of the season. Sellout crowd at the stadium, so 30,000 people are coming to watch Tana. I'm playing my team at home for my debut starting. And as always happens, the Wellington weather decides to pack in. And I remember vividly before the game, we're out on the field and we're just, I was just bouncing the ball. And I went to bounce the ball and a gust of wind came because Wellington is like ferocious and blew the ball 50 metres down the field. Whoa. And I was like, I've got to throw in. I'm a hooker on debut <laughs> with 30,000 people and I've got to throw in, in this in these conditions. And I was and I haven't, I was so nervous. But I went all right. I, looking back on it, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't a world beater, but I went all right. Um, we just lost too. We didn't play too bad. And again, I think that was another step to say, man, if I can throw in and play against my team with 30,000 people going with 150k wins, I'm going all right. Um, and then the rest of the season was up and down. It was an up and down season for a whole lot of reasons. We got beaten a lot. I got humbled from Canterbury on a personal point of view and as a team, I think we lost to Canterbury by 75. Um, they had a front row of uh, Wyatt Crockett, Corey Flynn and Campbell Johnson, which were all had just, well, I don't know if they all made All Blacks then, but they were in the mix. And I remember about five scrums in a row, they literally lifted our front row off the ground and we went back about five metres. And I remember coming off the field going, Again, another another setback guy, I do not deserve to be on the field with these guys. And I was like, how am I going to like play like these guys? And that was another big doldrums moment, but chipped away at the season, played okay, but nothing spectacular. And then after three months, came back to, to Wellington to start again for the next year, because I was still signed by Wellington. So I just went on loan. Um, but no guarantees I was going to make the team next year either. Yeah, and you mentioned the support network. Yeah. What would you think is important to help someone continue going? Like, is there anything else? Yeah, I think there was a few things. Um, you always need someone that's there. Like, I had a support network that if I played well or if I didn't, it did not matter. They they loved me for who I was. And they knew that this was your dream and goal and they were supporting you on your dream and goal and there was no conflict there. Exactly. It wasn't, oh, Jed, think about something else. Oh, Jed, you weren't no. getting that energy. It was people who, who were fully supportive of you going in the direction you wanted to yep. go. Yeah, and they knew how much, they knew that I wanted this in my bones. Like they knew that they had seen me from four, you know, like being that kid running around and just loving it. And they knew that in, in all my being, that's what I wanted to do and, it, 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 there was more of a, it's almost spiritual way. It was, it, it meant more to me than just, than just, it wasn't just a ball throwing a ball around. It, it was the, the feeling of trying to be my best and to see where that would take me and going all in. Mm. And, and they saw that, but I knew that my, they, I knew that the people around me saw me for me as who I was, not that Jed, the rugby player. And that's all you can ask for from your support network, right? So if I played well or didn't, that, that didn't, it was, they were still there for a roast on a Sunday night if I was injured or not and I would connect with them and my mum and my auntie called, called themselves groupie one and groupie two. So they're the groupies that always just followed me around and I just had, I knew they were amazing. They were amazing because if you talk about distance, they weren't too close where they were my coach or trying to do that stuff, but they weren't too far away that they were disconnected from me. They were always just at that right distance for when I needed them 
when I needed that hug or I missed that team or just to be there when I was injured or whatever it happened, I just always knew I could go back to them and they were there for me. Um, yeah, well, how do you put value on that? Like it's, it's hard, it's hard to, but that, that was there the whole time. And even when I was playing at the, the part and at the turbos, I had an auntie, another auntie who was about 20 minutes away. So once a week I'd go and have dinner with her. So she was like, Hey, do you come have dinner? I know you're away from home and would just connect in that way. Um, yeah, obviously a bit of the backstory around that is my father died when I was young, so um, when I was four. So I had um, a lot of women in my life, and I think a lot of them had seen the troubles I had early on from that and were there to support me as well. So um, that probably added another layer to being there for me and seeing what I was doing and um, aspiring to be my best. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's, it's so important to have yeah, people in your corner. And uh, it's interesting you say there, yeah, about kind of spiritual in that I know exactly what you mean in that if you're doing something with your life that you really don't enjoy versus then if you start doing something with your life that you truly enjoy and that just lights the fire in you and just mm. gives you energy it's there's a huge difference it's not the other one is living really you're just existing I totally agree and it just but again it's only when I reflect back in those games when I was truly in flow like mm. truly in the zone yeah like that was more than just it's like transcending like past mm. you, there's something it's just I, I can't even put it into words it just felt like something bigger than me was leading me in that journey and it was just it's just so pure it's so pure um and that that sense of those feelings and those games which only come from all that training and being out you know really challenging me oh it's it's beautiful. I, I can't. I can't put the words on how it felt, but that that was the spiritual and that connection that came part of it as well. Yeah. And how do you feel now since you've stopped playing and what you're doing now? Yeah. Interesting. It's been a bit of a journey for me. So I retired two thousand and end of two thousand sixteen. And and I wasn't. I struggled more around knowing how to have that sense of purpose. I was ready to give the game away in terms of. Uh, the body was telling me it was time. I wasn't playing that well. I'd lost a bit of that. I knew in that last year or so, I wasn't trying to be my best anymore. I was there. It wasn't that <clears> I was just getting a paycheck, but I wasn't truly trying to excel anymore. I was 33. I was probably resting on my laurels a bit. So I was knew it was time to give up. So I wasn't worried about finishing. I was more that I'd lost that that purpose and meaning piece. And I was like, okay, well, what's the next minute? purpose of meaning piece like what, what am I doing now and it's taken me six years and probably only in the last 18 months or go so really have found where I sit with what's what's my next purpose of meaning and now for me it's um, my mission in life is to help anyone on their mission and that's as 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 pure as it is so if, if a player comes to me and goes Jed, I want to be a pro rugby player and I'm all in, I'm like, I'm with you. How can I help? And obviously with the strategies and tools that we've learned from playing and from the diploma and positive psych I've done, I've gone, okay, let's let's make a plan. What does it look like? How do, where's the gaps from here to get to here? And let's start layering the paint and, and, take, and help take them on the journey that I learned as I went on their journey. Um, but that can be someone that wants to be the best in business. Um, the strategies and techniques are still the same. It's just where you're layering the paint, right? So 
you, you're on your mission. I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm in your circle of support and let's go. Brilliant. And do you find similar flow at times? Yeah, it's interesting for me. That's only lately. And that was probably one of the big pieces when I, when I reflect from learning more around positive psych and that. What I actually lost, I lost a lot of flow. So you're at training all the time, you're playing professionally, you're, you're regularly in flow or close to it. And I, and I went from having a heap of it to having none. And I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't have the self-awareness to realize that was why I was feeling part, a big chunk of while I was feeling average, was I had actually lost a lot of flow. Um, so there was a couple of things I did to try and help create it at that time. Um, I just started playing social sport again. Um, but social as in it wasn't professional, but I don't play like a social. Yeah. Like, so I started playing dodgeball and going full noise, um, but I kept getting injured. But that gave me some flow. Like I'd go all in and just get lost in it because I'm so competitive. But that took me three or four years to realize, oh, okay, I need to start playing some sport again. But I was getting the social connection and the, the positive emotion from working out and moving again. So that, that was cool. Um, I was never great at writing. And that was probably something I was really fixed mindset about. I didn't do well at school. Um, I had a diploma in exercise science, but nothing really like I was always good at the stuff that meant we were moving and doing. But if you had me to write, but lately with the more learning I've done and trying to actually express this stuff, I've started to get a little bit more flow around writing, which I've never had before. But I've had three or four moments in probably the last three or four months where I've written something like this thing I sent you. Um, I was on a plane and I just it just spewed out of me. And that was one of the first time in writing that I've gone, wow, like that was, I don't even remember writing that. And that, and normally I've, my grammar's terrible and it sounded really good. And I was like, wow, this is cool. Um, and like you've talked about with, you know, like you come and you do your coaching and your podcast and your talk, you know, I've probably read 200 books in the last five years. I've, you know, really tried to hone my craft around helping people on their mission. How can I be better? And that, that was me layering the paint around that, but I didn't see it as that, you know? And then so that spewed out of me in writing for the first time. Um, but I've always been very fixed mindset about that. So um, it's coming and it's coming more and more because I've found that, that purpose and meaning piece and I found my mission um, and that's helping me with it, I think. Brilliant, class. And yeah, what I found then is like, look i'm not playing either but like you can live in flow do you know throughout your day living yeah and um something even only in the last week since i've moved here uh i joined f45 and with nice. the you know with the concussion last year i haven't been i've just been getting back in over the yeah. last few months to to fitness and like that like waking up culture or meditate and then getting into this class where you're being pushed and i can attack it the same yeah. way i can attack a game you know, yeah. and and then after that, I think the phone, our your phone, really takes you out of flow because flow is the present moment, and the phone takes you out of that. So, when you can start your day and have a run of your day, not and not pick up your phone for a while, you get into that flow. I found, yeah. and I totally agree. And what I've had to do, and I actually listened to your flow podcast, and was and oh, I've started geez. to try and do the hour at the night and the hour during the, in the morning, which yeah. um which was a nice tip by the way. It's probably the the hardest thing for me my mind is always like how do I'm I'm getting more and more content but I'm always high search for how I can do more which means my mind's always like oh I should try that or we could do that or so I'm 
I find it really hard to let myself get into that zone. So a couple of things for me is now when I go out or walk the dog um, and do times, I just don't take my phone. Cool. Um, and I just let myself, walking's probably the only time, it's the best time for me because at home I've got four kids as well. So it's it's very hard to get away so those are the moments that I'm taking the dog for a walk and then I don't take my phone, no headphones, no podcast, which I'd normally do all yeah. the time trying to learn and get more yeah. and have that moment um, where, I, oh, and then I, I have that old light bulb moment and things come in. And one another technique someone told me is when I walk is just look up. So, you mm. know, you can get really caught just kind of, mm. and I just look up and, you know, almost like smell the trees, look around, see and go, oh, this is, this is awesome. Um, my biggest work on though, is yeah. is taking that phone out and going actually, Jed, like give yourself some time, get away, have have a chill out, let that brain settle. Yeah, that's cool. That, uh, the writing has started to come. That's a cool feeling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because everyone used to laugh at me, like, you know, you're like people. My family always like, Jed, I'll, I'll check over your work. Like, it's not that it's bad. It's just not well written. And and so I've always had this bugbear that like, I can't do it. So it's quite cool that the writing's starting to come. When I'm not forcing it, like the yeah. writing's starting to come. And yeah, who knows? Who knows where that will go with that? Yeah, who knows? But you know, it's funny you just say there, but not forcing it. Yeah. And that's something that as a player, yeah. I really didn't get for too long a time. Yeah. Like you can't force playing well. You have to allow it to happen. Mm. It's a really hard concept though, because forcing it to me is like trying to go all out at it. But when, you know, it's like if you get too past and you're so wanting to do it well, your body's actually getting, you too aroused and you're too mm. fired up, your body's getting too tense. And then I was like, I was so ready to fight up for that game and I'd be dropping the ball and missing tackles because I was, I was so like, come on, let's force this. I'm going to, I just want to destroy this team and it would go the other way. But I couldn't figure out why that was the case. It's a, it's a really hard concept for me because you would just assume the more you want it, the better you go. Yeah, and it's like, you know, it's like, oh, I want to make, Jacqueline wasn't my thing, but like, yeah. oh, I want to make X amount of jackals or something, and you're you're forcing it, and you're yeah. trying to make it happen, and then you're going at rooks that aren't yeah. to be gone at, and you're, you know, you're, you're trying and forcing, whereas when you relax, yeah. and just, because that brings you into the moment, that brings you into the yeah. fault, then things just happen, it's mad. It is mad, I, and um, the more we can help people get into that stage, yeah yeah it's um it's a pretty special place eh? yeah and chat to me about you mentioned the coaches there yeah what like what's a good coach or what did some of the what were some of the things that they did that you look back and say oh oh that's yeah. a good coach i've had this lots because the funny thing is um i think i'll probably be one of the only players that has had almost there's a big thing in new zealand at the moment around who's going to be the next all black coach so i've um and not I'm not doing saying this because of how the, who I am, but I've had Tony Brown, Scott McLeod, Jamie Joseph, Chris Boyd, John Plumtree, Rob McQueen from Australia, uh, Dave Rennie, um, basically everyone that's gone for the job in the last Ian Foster for a couple of weeks in New, when I made New Zealand Juniors. I've had them all coach me. Razor, I had Razor Robinson at Canterbury for a year. I can't really separate any of them from the technical parts of the game, um, technically or tactically, they were all very similar. Jamie Joseph may have a slight upper hand there, 
but in terms of the way they treated me as a person, how they brought that team together and allowed people to do themselves, be themselves, Dave Rennie and, and Razor are poles above everybody else from what I've seen. And those coaches grow in that. I, I had them 10, 15 years ago too. So they've changed and adapt. You can't, you can't just say that that's who they are. Um, but for me, the difference is it's, it's the human connection people part, right? They, I could be myself. I could, I remember that one of the funny things Dave really said to me, we were having a beer after the game. He said, Jed, um, when we lose, we have a beer. Uh, when we win, we have a beer. And I said, well, what happens when we draw? He said, we have lots of beers. And, that, and we just kind of had a laugh. And then he's sitting there playing guitar for two hours around the, and the team. So I could chat to him about anything. And we would just sit there for two hours and chat. But then when he came to chat to me about something I need to work on my game, I'd be like, mate, you're here to really help me. I always felt like he was genuinely there just to help us be better players and people. And so I would die for, I would, I would do anything for him. So that's why I was so happy looking back that I did go to the Turbos first year. That was the best person I could have had when I just made that transition and I was um, trying to see what I was like at that level and wasn't sure who was the best person I had. And then I had Razor right at the end. Um, Razor's got an ability to get everyone to go towards a common goal by making themes. And uh, yeah, that, that theme was the, the Chicago Bulls. But he has an ability of... I don't know how he does it. He takes his brain to the Chicago Bulls in 1996 and the whole theme is like our our club uh, home ground was called the United Centre, which was the, where they played at that stage. But he, he can change his language. All our team calls were Chicago Bulls calls. He had wrapped a, the values around a basketball court with five, five hands in the middle because that's what five people playing. We would um, He would call the players that were playing that week players that were, if we were playing the Pistons, he would name them that player that were playing against North Harbour. And then he'd have clips, video clips from Chicago against the Pistons that met, that was similar to the strategy we were using from Canterbury against North Harbour. Like, unbelievable. Unbelievable the depth and the analysis he'd go to wrap that, that theme around what we were doing, and everyone would buy into it. So I don't know if that answers your question. That's but class. Yeah. And unreal. And... And then the other um, part of that about to say those two kind of coaching styles um, or those two coaches, the way their style was about letting players play or, or you know. Or I, he was allowing them to be themselves within that team yeah, environment. So and, and what's that? What do you mean by that? I think when you're in a team environment, you, you're obviously, you're trying to fit in and you're trying to fit in to see what the kind of, the norms, the norms of the team and the cultural norms where you sit within that. And that doesn't always mean that you're fully yourself. It's like you're going to work. And if you don't feel fully safe in that environment, you don't really show fully who you are. You, you know, you'll have those conversations, but are they the deep conversations? Mm -hmm. If someone asks you to do something or um, your point of view, do you fully give your point of view? Or, you, you know, just all those little idiosyncrasies that come with not being fully immersed and, and comfortable in your skin in that environment. And in most environments, that may take whatever amount of years in that until you feel and you've got good leaders and bosses that are allowed you to be who you are. Razor and Rennie, had an, Dave, had an ability to do that within a few days. Was there anything looking back that they did? They were themselves. They were themselves, yeah. So they weren't, like, Razor's up in the middle before... Before we do, uh, before he leads a analysis on the team we're playing, 
and someone puts some music on and he's not break dancing, but he's literally just dancing, just boogieing around the room and everyone's cracking up. So he doesn't conform to what a coach has to look like because that's, he's just like, well, this is who I am. I, I love having to dance. This music's on. I'm going to feel the music. And then he'd be like, he, he's almost in flow with it. Like yeah. he would get lost in yeah. it. And then after about three or four minutes, oh, sorry, boys. We're, hold on. We'll get back to the presentation now. So he's always up in the sky a little bit, but it, it, you, he just, he led it by his own actions. Mm, and there's a, there's just, oh, there's a psychiatrist from back in the day who talks about the real self and ideal self. Yeah. And I forget his name. I think it starts with a C, but the, ideal self is the self that you put across yeah. for, that you want people to see you as and the real self is you and the more time that you spend we've all been there when yeah, I yeah. went in rugby teams I've been there when I went to the first job I've been there I have to walk this way I have to talk this yeah, way I have yeah, to look yeah. this way the more time you spend in the real or sorry the ideal self you you lose yourself and and every you know mental health all these things because you're putting on an act that yeah. is that is very difficult to hold up and you know, that's something I learned about three, four years ago. And I'm just like really just being the real self more and more. And yep. if people don't like it, then okay, all good. Sorry, I'll try and be, I'll be nice to everyone. But, you know, if they yeah, don't totally. like it, all good. Totally. And that's the best way to explain it. So I think he's celebrated. He does celebrate people being them real selves. Yeah. So he wants to know who you are. And he'll try and almost add that into what the team needs. So he, he worked out after a few days and I love games. And team games, that's kind of where I see value. And I don't know how he knew that, but after two or three days, he said, hey, gee, mate, next Wednesday, um, we're going to have some team games. Can you run three or four games and set us up? But yeah, man, I love this stuff. So that's how he would layer it into. So then he's getting my strengths mm. and adding it into the team team culture. Yeah. And and I didn't know he was, I don't know if he was consciously or subconsciously doing that, but that was a real nice way to connect me in real fast into the environment. I was like, how does he know that I like games and quizzes and stuff? And that's kind of, because I, I, I call myself the games master. So he, like, but he didn't know any of that, but he picked that up pretty quickly about who I was. The other cool thing Razor did was he did a bit of a personality test on everyone. They use a colored system, the All Blacks, like a purple head or you might have heard of it. And then they've all got different feedback styles. So he put it up on the wall. And then if he was coming to give the feedback, he'd see what type of personality you were and he'd give you the feedback to your personality. So you can see how much layers he's looking at people within his, not just his technical, tactical, like he's, how do I coach these people? They're all their own individual self, which I thought was pretty cool. Cheers for listening in today. If you're ambitious, want to overcome setbacks and achieve big things, check out my new book. The links to the paperback and audio version are in the podcast description. And there you'll also find the link to the Audible free trial. If you keep doing what you've always done, you'll keep getting the results that you've always got. It's really simple. And the next 12 months are going to be the exact same for you as the last 12 months were. If you're serious about getting different results in your life, get in touch with me through offfieldrugby.com. I work one-on-one with not just players and coaches, but anyone with a growth mindset who wants to get more out of life. Please send the pod on some friends. I'd really appreciate that. And if you want to be an absolute legend, you can leave a rating and a review. Please follow me on social media. That's at Offfield Rugby. And my LinkedIn is Brian Moylet.
If you have any questions or thoughts, send them on. I'd love to hear them. Thanks, Emil, for being here. Check out some earlier episodes and have a brilliant rest of your day. Cheers.